talk to us now and go to the TNT Radio interactive live chat room at tntradio.live. Lighting the fuse for freedom. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. The conversation continues with Rick Munn and Natalie Cheel on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Good morning and welcome to Open Line on TNT Radio. It's Tuesday, the 28th of November, 2023. I'm Natalie Cheel. Rick and Gemma are on the way shortly. We're not just on radio anymore. Uh, You can actually see our faces and go and live stream us. Aren't you the lucky ones? Seeing our beautiful faces, uh, you can go on YouTube, Odyssey, Rumble, Facebook, Twitter, uh, look up tntradio.live and uh, you can see uh, what we actually look like now. And don't forget, you can get on our online chat. Tell us what you think. Get involved in the conversation. We don't mind, good or bad. We promote freedom of speech here. Uh, we'll be brave. We'll, we'll, we'll take all your opinions, whatever you have to say. Um, I've had a brief look through the headlines this morning in the mainstream uh, newspapers. Uh, not that I particularly enjoy it, but it's part of our job here. Uh, basically, it's all involved at the moment with uh, hostages situation in Israel-Palestine. We've got some, I think, I I don't know who he is, uh, a a journalist. He's selling lots of stories on Harry and Meghan Markle. Uh, They're everywhere. You've got Black Friday deals uh, still scamming us. And the other one is the I'm a Celebrity uh, headlines. Uh, They seem to be everywhere. So I didn't really want to talk about any of those this morning. Uh, I had to wade through a hell of a lot of stories uh, to find anything and barely anything positive which tells you a lot about the mainstream media. Uh, But two I thought I would speak about this morning. Uh, The first one, um, most people probably aren't big football fans uh, listening, but I've grown up with it. And there was a story about VAR. So uh, that's the technology that they've introduced over the last couple of years in Premier League football matches. So uh, they have to stop the game. If there's an offside, they have to check it. If it's a penalty, uh, most football fans have actually thought it has completely ruined the game. Uh, it's brought in more corruption. It tends to favour the big clubs. And guess what? This morning I read they want to bring in more VAR technology, not less. So we've got that to look football forward to in football. Uh, so, yeah, I would have said we need less technology, but they are saying we need more. We might actually get to the point, I'm thinking, where it's all AI. Let's think, maybe five years or 10 years down the line, they might say, nope, it's too dangerous. There's going to be too many injuries. It will all be AI footballers instead. Uh, But we're not quite there yet. They're just adding more technology. And the other story that I thought was uh, worth noting was from Sky News. It says one in three households with children will struggle to afford Christmas this year. It says around four million will be getting into debt into using credit cards. Uh, So I just want to basically, with a a reminder to put out there, uh, it's no secret 
I'm no fan of Christmas. I did put on uh, X recently. I bought a Grinch T-shirt. I was going to show it to you today. Then I realized it would clash with the green screen so you wouldn't see it properly. But it's a big green T-shirt with a big Grinch on that I'm going to be wearing uh, a lot around Christmas and being miserable generally to everybody and saying, bah, humbug. Uh, but I just wanted to remind people that... Christmas isn't about getting into debt. It's not about big, expensive gifts. It's about spending time with uh, the people, the friends and the family that you love. You've got another 364 days of the year to do that. It's You don't need to get involved in the commercialism. You don't have to keep up with the Joneses. Uh, just, you know, if, if you can't afford it, find a way of doing something small. Go out, buy board, some cheap board games. I tell you what, that is brilliant. Spend the time, uh, quality time on the day doing that. Much better than getting yourself in debt if you can't afford to do so. So that's my just little reminder for the day. Uh, not to not to get involved in uh, what the mainstream media are pushing and uh, all the pressure that it brings. So we'll take a quick uh, break now and uh, we'll say hello to Rick and Gemma here at TNT Radio. Bringing you a worldview. I like to hear what's going on around the world. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. How are we this morning, guys? Gemma, I'll let you answer that one first. <laughs> Oh, you're going to let me go first on this one. Yeah, yes, please. Uh, right. Okay. Yeah, very well, actually. And rightly said, Natalie, you know, Christmas has become an orgy of consumption and uh, the keeping oh. up with the Joneses thing. It's 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 just people in their ego, isn't it? With, you know, I must be like them and I'm not good enough. Therefore, I'll buy this product. I mean, we're so well conditioned in our society. But thankfully, you know, voices of sanity like yours, I think, reflect what a lot of people think about Christmas. I think a lot of people find it actually quite depressing financially, socially, emotionally. It's not always a great time of year but of course the reality was shown on the mainstream with the adverts and all the happy families there's so many happy families around christmas where the other 364 days of the year a lot of families are at each other's throats it's all a load of smoke and mirrors the main thing is to as you say choose the time with the people you really want to be with and enjoy the enjoy the downtime isn't it and the winter walks yeah. and all that lovely stuff that comes with it yeah yeah, yeah that's a bit I, of strategy i, I think it well, if you allow it to become, if you allow it to become a consumer fest, then it's it is a miserable time of the year. But if you actually make an effort to say, okay, you know what, it is coming up to the end of the year. It's been a long year. I'm going to catch up with some old friends. I'm going to hang around with some people. I'm just going to chill out a little bit or take long walks, as Gemma said. It can actually be a time of the year to look forward to. And also, if you are funding Christmas with debt, i.e. with an overdraft or with a personal loan. Some people take out personal loans coming up to Christmas or it used to be payday loans or put them on credit cards. Don't forget, it's going to cost you at least 30% more than what you paid for everything, roughly, depending what the APR in your uh, credit card or your overdraft is. And if you don't clear that balance in short term, you know, you could effectively be paying for Christmas twice because you'll be paying twice as much over the long term for those gifts as you would, you know, if you either didn't buy them in the first place because most of them are unnecessary or you simply saved up in advance and cut out a few unnecessary expenditures through the years. So don't make it a painful time. A lot of people actually make it a painful time for themselves and they succumb to pressure and they succumb to peer pressure and they have to keep up with the Joneses. Don't do it. Opt out of the game and your life will be a heck of a lot simpler uh, as a result of that. Yeah. Oh, you can just be a Grinch like me and cancel come. Christmas completely. No, I'm not going to do that. I'm not doing it for my kids, but I'm not going to get involved in the in the commercialism. And uh, what story have you got for us this morning, Gemma, about about the kids and WhatsApp? 
Well, it is, it's more of a story. It's about opting out again, which I think is the one weapon that we have in our arsenal, you know, is personal sovereignty against the face of what we're all looking at in the world of, you know, complete control of our behavior and our thoughts, including Christmas. You know, it's a very mind controlled time. You must do this. You must do that. You know, if you even say you're not having a, a turkey on Christmas Day, people look at you askance. But no, personal sovereignty is the key of how we win this and how we take back our power. And it seems that I'm not the only one that feels this way because I saw this wonderful story this morning here in the UK. And Natalie, you say it's quite difficult to find positive news stories. I absolutely agree with you. That's the mainstream's job to keep us in fear and stress. But this story is a really nice little story. And that's that WhatsApp usage is dramatically down as people are just turning away from it in their droves uh, in, in enough that Mark Zuckerberg is now launching this huge revamp of the whole entire um, app, but it might be too little too late. And the reason people are turning away is they're saying, this has been a study done, is they're getting anxious due to the constant pressure to be constantly contactable. And it's leaving people with massive anxiety. Uh, one case study said she felt like she necked 11 cups of coffee just looking at the WhatsApp. And she she's in 12 of those groups. You know, people have WhatsApp groups, don't they, for this and that. And she was getting 300 messages a day. She said it was stopping her doing living her daily normal life. She'd look at the phone. She wasn't the only one surveyed, but these were the quotes that really jumped out at me. Um, and she said it left her stomach churning. And of course, it's all down to the way WhatsApp is designed, which again, I think is deliberate to keep us anxious, to keep us stressed. And it's the blue ticks, isn't it? So if you use WhatsApp and you send a message to someone, first of all, it's gray and then they go blue when you can see someone's read yep. the message. Same with you. So people know and they get really anxious. So they think, oh, no, so and so can see I've read the message. That means I must respond. And people are in this constant med um, uh, mental work. Uh, and and it's got so bad. They're all saying, no, we're leaving. So um, again, it's keeping up with the Joneses because so what if someone's seen that you've read the message? doesn't mean you have to reply. You could leave it a week, you know. Think about when we used to write letters to each other. Me, you know, you and I, Rick, we're of that generation. You have to write letters to people when we were kids. But this isn't just applying to kids. And it's like, it's showing very clearly how social media, and it's not just WhatsApp, is, is again, keeping us in that ego of like, oh, what will people think if I don't do this? What will people think if I don't reply? Yes. Well, get out of your ego get into your heart center you won't care it doesn't matter it really doesn't matter but this is encouraging because people are coming away and they're coming off it in their absolute droves um and it's interesting even the mayor of paris uh she said yesterday didn't she in the newspaper le monde she's quit twitter she said i'm quitting x it's a sewer it's a cesspit it's a global sewer and you think yeah people are beginning even even you know someone you could argue is maybe a bit of a globalist they're coming off it they're saying no taking power back so i think it's a good one this story i really do I know Rick is a massive fan of WhatsApp and particularly groups. He just can't get enough of them, can you, Rick? Well, <laughs> listen, I am actually a fan of WhatsApp because it is a good way to communicate, like video messages and voice messages, because yeah. I hate typing. I like to leave a voice message and send it through there. So it's easy for me to do that. I'm in one, no, I'll tell a lie. I'm in two WhatsApp groups. One of them is with you two, where we exchange stories for the show. The other one is a extended family group chat that I have on mute, and it's very rarely posted. And uh, I, I quit all group chats. I get out of every group that I'm put into, and also etiquette most people will just assume that you want to be out of their group and just add you in there and then you feel like you don't want to be rude by just leaving just leave if they're rude enough to add you without asking for your permission then just exit it immediately and tell people listen i don't do the group thing it's a it's a head melt i want nothing to do with it and also by the way you can manage this 
yourself uh the blue tick thing switch it off you can switch off read repeats and even text messaging as well people are saying they're leaving this and they're going on the text messaging for as long as your phone is switched on or you have a device that people know your number you cannot escape from people that's all there is to it so my advice is if you really want to escape switch the damn thing off when you're not using it otherwise it will be using you so manage the device or manage the internet or manage whatsapp don't allow it to manage you and don't be afraid to what you perceive as offending people by leaving groups or not responding to their messages just ignore them uh, and don't give people your number if you want a clean slate get a new telephone number and only give it to the people that matter and you'll probably find that amounts to about four or five people so that's my uh whirlwind tip on how to stay sane yeah. on the online world of whatsapp and all these messaging groups i don't use any other ones by the way that's that's the only yeah. one i have yeah, and and there was a tip someone put on the uh, online chat. Um, I've done what Rick's done. I'm barely on any groups at all. You can also archive groups. You can turn off notifications. I think that's a problem. Uh, like with younger people, have you you heard the term before? You've left me on red. Yeah, that's men means when you've because uh, obviously you get the grey ticks and then the blue ticks. So that means when you've uh, read it and you've left someone on the blue ticks, but you've not got back to them, it's seen as like a level of ghosting, like that you're really weird. And I think that this is uh, where this social obligation comes in for younger people because it's deemed uh, a rude thing to do to leave someone on read. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I think us older generation people, we're like, hmm. and, and basically I'm so forgetful. If often I read something, then I have to go back and mark it as unread because if I don't see that it's unread, I am replying back to you because my memory is like a sieve um, at, at the best of times. So um, uh, if you haven't heard back from me, by the way, anyone, just re remind me, send me something because I've bound to have forgotten. Uh, but yeah, for a lot of younger generation, it seemed as really, really rude. And I can imagine, you know, uh, you know, it's social obligations again it's hard enough just keeping up with work and just uh the normal uh to that you've got to do the day-to-day -day jobs on top of then if 20 to 30 people are sending you a message and you've got to do that on top of your housework and it's just it's just too much Gemma isn't it so you know I'm I'm much in favor of this always less social media more real world presence yeah, I mean, and of course, you might, you know, might be on the chat thinking, what on earth are you bringing a story about WhatsApp to the table for? But billions of people use it, and billions of people are having their their brain chemistry altered by these things, which you could say, oh, it's just the way the world is. No, it absolutely isn't the way the world is. Well, it is, but it's the, it's by design. This this constant flight or flight response is not natural for the human condition. And that they've um, with the blue tick thing, a psychologist has said when you get the blue tick and you're thinking, oh, they can, oh, they've read it, or oh, I've got, I've got a reply. It forces your brain into something that they call task switching, which is exactly what you just said, Natalie. About you can't do the housework, you can't focus on one thing. No, that's what they want. I know I'm getting all conspiratorial here, which I don't normally do. Well, I do and I don't. But this is a actual thing because the the magic of your life lies being able to focus in the present moment and everything mm. about social media is taking you away from the present moment taking you away from the present moment putting you in this constant mental work uh, and you know the yeah. irony is we are on we're on devices and we're on tablets and we use a whatsapp group but it's to you've got to do it consciously you have to do it consciously otherwise they they are it's cool to get on the computer but don't let the computer get on you and you said that mm. yeah. prince mm. yeah and, and, uh, and it's, that's 
I was going to say it. the most important point in all this that you've made, Gemma, it's in that article, is the interruption of flow without a shadow of a doubt. So even if you're not in a lot of groups, like I'm not, you can find yourself checking things and seeing if somebody's contacted you. But ask yourself an honest question. Is it really important? Am I waiting for important news? Am I waiting for a result of something? Or is someone that I know ill and I'm waiting for an update on their medical status? If the answer to that is no, then you probably don't need to be checking your WhatsApp or your text messages or anything else more than maybe once or twice a day. Do it first thing in the morning or not even first thing in the morning, an hour into your day, and maybe do it an hour before you go to bed at night in case you have missed something important. But this this whole business of grabbing for the phone and checking during the course of the day, I think is a terrible interruption as Gemma uh, perfectly said to our flow state and it really knackers our attention span as well and it just gets us uh, you know addicted to this uh, have I been contacted do I need to respond and then that can put you under pressure as well so yeah we need to we need to manage these things uh, rather than let them manage us yeah, you literally said what I was going to say. It adds to this uh, instant gratification, the dopamine fix, the need in modern society for validation and approval. Do they like me? Have they have they read have they read it? Have I had that dopamine fix? I need it. I need it. I need it. Well, we don't, and uh, we can try our best. Uh, you know, starting here and uh, promoting to be living in the real world and not and not needing that quick dopamine fix and validation mm. uh, from other people. So, thank you, Gemma, uh, for bringing us that. Story. We've got lots more to cover this hour here at TNT Radio. Pervoy Morich on TNT Radio. From June 2012, the BBC. Tony Blair ID cards needed to tackle illegal migrants. Uh, of course, that was 2012. Those ID cards today are is, is digital ID. And uh, Majid Nawaz, among others, he, he says globalist surrogates pretending to be right, populist right wing influencers against Muslims and immigration are leading you into a trap. It was these very same globalists who opened our borders as part of their plan after invading multiple countries in your name. And of course, it's the same false flag for they're creating the problem intentionally because they have a solution that they want for us. So, you know, they got the solution, which is, you know, dystopia. Uh, and then they figure out, okay, what problems can we create to, to get where we want to go? So we want this algorithm ghetto. How do we get it? Flood in illegal migrants get rid of law and order and the solution is going to be the algorithm ghetto and we're already seeing signs of that pervoy morich on today's news talk radio tnt chief division council and doj have approved a no-knock breach we want the subject to be on display, doing the walk of shame, full visual impact. Any questions? Are we becoming a police state? Government told American citizens they couldn't go to church on Sunday. For the first time in my life, I'm saying to myself, am I gonna get a knock at the door? FBI warrant, come to the door now! The Patriot Act and FISA were used against Donald Trump. These individuals have commissioned the biggest propaganda play in U.S. history. They don't go after the people that rigged the election. They go after the people that want to find out what the hell happened. We don't need to have a crime. What we need is a person to look at. And then we go find out what crime you did. FBI! Our focus is shifting. 
Our main priority as a bureau is going to be domestic terrorism. It really paints anybody who's right of center. If you're a pro-life, pro-family Catholic, they define you as radical. These are anti-government. We have freedom of religion and freedom of speech. Violent extremists, and they must be dealt with. We can do anything we want. If you're still wearing a cloth or a surgical mask around in public, you're guilty of spreading COVID misinformation. It really is that simple. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. I like those, those dramatic adverts, weren't they? They were enjoyable. Uh, so next story. Remember, the lines are open. You can give us a call. Uh, but this one's about New Zealand, and it did make me laugh this morning. So uh, they were the first country to introduce this smoking uh, ban. Uh, they wanted uh, anyone born after 2008 not to ever be able uh, to smoke a cigarette. And, and it was really uh, soon after, uh, just a little bit after they introduced the same plan well guess what's happened a big fat u-turn uh they've decided they have to scrap this idea why no it's nothing to do with health they need the money apparently they've come to the conclusion that they're gonna run out of money if people stop smoking so for the time being they need the money rick and uh sodger health uh, a bit, a bit like the vaccines, really. Don't worry about about your health, but as long as we make some money on them, uh, we'll be okay. What do you make of this one? Well, a couple of things. It ties in as well with a lot of these Ulysses stories that we covered for a very, very long time, where you have, for example, Sadiq Khan said that, you know, he's concerned about people's health in London. He doesn't want people to die with pollution. But if you're prepared to pay £12.50 a day, he will allow you to drive your killing machine, your car, through the uh, centre of London. And it's the same with Glasgow. It's the same with Oxford and all these places that they're paying a toll to be able to use something that the government says is killing us. Even Mark Drakeford's 20 miles per hour speed limit on the Welsh roads. It's like you can still drive that death machine out of your car, but you just have to drive a little bit slower. So interesting to see you turning this one on. We all know uh, that uh, cigarettes and uh, tobacco are a huge source of revenue for the government because they're taxed uh, so heavily. You pay so much of the price is actually tax that goes to the government. How could they do away with this one? It's a, they'd be effectively killing the goose that lays the golden egg. And it's the same with uh, all these stories, I believe, Natalie. Some of them have a kernel of truth to them. Some of them I do think uh, that were never really got off the ground. But what they do is they get people into a lather, they get people into a tizzy, and for what, six months or a year, they get worked up about the fact that their liberty is being taken and they can't smoke cigarettes. And then at the the 11th hour, we get a U-turn from the powers that be and they say, you know what, we're doing away with that after all. So New Zealand is the first to throw their hat into the mix here. I think they were also the first to propose it. So it will be interesting to see if uh, Fishy Rishi Sunak uh, decides to do a little U-turn over here in uh, the UK as well. I must admit, I remembered uh, me and you covering uh, the uh, Rishi Sunak story on the day, and we didn't take it seriously at all, did we? Do you remember we were saying it? we're going to get little old grannies having to go into shops and uh, and uh, buy it for 40-year-olds outside? So one adult can buy cigarettes, but another adult couldn't. I mean, it was never, ever going to work. So in that sense, you know, you know, I, I find the whole thing funny. Um, 
I do believe they've put this story forward, uh, attempting uh, to get us to believe they care about our health. Um, and uh, another opposite uh, opposition, they were saying um, it was owners of news agencies and shops that were saying uh, we're going to actually go bust on the loss of revenue. Uh, there were some shops that, you know, cigarettes are, are, are their main place. They make money. And another one, which obviously was going to be true, is all that would happen is the black market would be huge. So, you know, even if uh, New Zealand or Rishi Sunak decides to ban cigarettes, it's not going to get rid of people smoking cigarettes, is it? It's just going to mean it's just going to mean more crime, uh, more people making money on on the side. They know that deep down. I, I don't believe for a second they thought this was a plausible idea that was going to work, whether New Zealand or the UK. Rick. No, and also, of course, when you make something illegal or you know that it's not right or it's not lawful, then it becomes a little bit more attractive to some people. More people yes. would maybe be tempted to do it. They wouldn't otherwise do it. It's like, well, I can, I'm not allowed to do this. The government doesn't want me to do this. And in the inverted world in which we live, you could almost start to believe, well, hang on, maybe smoking is good for me. That's why the government doesn't want me to do it anymore. So I'm going to light up uh, a packet of Benson and Hedges or Embassy or whatever it is uh, that you particularly would be fancy smoking. So interesting. Uh, we'll keep and on this one and let's uh, call this and say that there will be a U-turn in the UK maybe not immediately yes. uh, but they'll probably follow suit because let's face it how can the government afford to do away with all that juicy tobacco revenue uh, if they get rid of cigarettes in the UK so New Zealand were the first to do it and now they're the first to rescind it let's see if uh, Fishy follows suit and also, and also remember that it's Rishi Sunak and the Conservatives that have put through this measure. And as it looks at the moment in the general election, that it's very likely Labour will come in and just dismiss that straight away. So a lot of the things that the Tories are putting forward uh, just aren't going to happen. There was one fact here. New Zealand still aimed to reduce its national smoking rate to 5% by 2025 with the aim of eventually eliminating it altogether. Well, uh, doing this U-turn isn't really good gonna help is it but then again it was never about our health in the first place so uh well that's that's the thing that we uh want to point out normally if the government are saying one thing it normally means they're doing the other so just keep keep an eye on that one uh we're going to take a quick break for the headlines and when we come back we're going to talk about uh rick's uh favorite politician leo varadka here mm. at tnt radio what time is it now, TNT Radio News. You know what time it is. Yeah. Time to read some news. Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. The ceasefire in Gaza, which was due to expire on Monday evening, has been extended by a further 48 hours. The Russian region of Crimea has been hit by the worst storm in its history, with tsunami-like waves and 150 kilometre per hour winds thrashing the peninsula. And another NATO country has run out of weapons for Ukraine. The Czech Republic, the latest nation to announce its stockpiles, are running empty. Are you enjoying listening to TNT Radio? Do you think we're doing a good job? Then please let us know. Why not leave us a like or a positive review or comment on Facebook, Gab or Getter. Help us get the word out as we cover the biggest topics of our time on today's news talk, TNT Radio. Yeah, welcome back. I'm going to put this one over to Rick because I'm sure he, he's got lots to say about it. Uh, there's an old tweet or, or older article that's been found about uh, Leo Varadka. It seems he's had quite a U-turn himself. He's been changing his mind the last couple of years, hasn't he, Rick? 
He has, yeah. So obviously there's been, uh, it, it's mind-blowing how much attention Ireland is getting at the minute right across the globe. Uh, we even had old Elon Musk himself talking about the Ireland hate speech laws and Tucker Carlson did a special, I think it was last night or the day before, talking about how much Ireland has changed. So there seems to be a lot of focus in Ireland at the minute, which I believe is a good thing. Uh, it's highlighting some of the shenanigans and skullduggery that's going on here. It's not so good for the politicians because people are starting to dig a little bit bit deeper into their past and a little bit deeper into their history to see what kind of stances they've taken on the things that they oppose as per right now. So there was a post put up yesterday uh, highlighting the fact that there was a lady, a young girl called Aisling Murphy, who was viciously butchered uh, by a Slovak uh, immigrant uh, called... Um, Pushka, I think his name was, but he lived off the Irish taxpayer for 10 years, never worked. Uh, the Algerian stabber, or the person who tried to kill the school children last year, uh, lived off Irish workers for at least 20 years. So a proposal was made here. Wouldn't it make sense to not let them into the country at all unless they're actually needed or they're going to work or to get rid of foreign welfare tourists and Leo Varadkar himself, uh, this was a post that was dug up uh, from around about, uh, let me see, 20, 2008. So this is going back 15 oh. years. A young Leo Varadkar had a call, and this was his call. He said, foreign jobless should be paid to leave Ireland. Okay, so pay them, just get them out of Ireland. That was a stance in 2008. Uh, Fine Gael TD has been criticised for raising the possibility of funding the rep repatriation of unemployed foreign nationals. Uh, Leo Varadkar, spokesperson on Enterprise at the time uh, on trade and employment, made the call at a special sitting. On Wednesday, unemployment figures for the Republic reached a 10-year high, and Varadkar suggested it might make sense to pay unemployed migrants to get the hell out of Dodge or Ireland. So look at him now pontificating about how the doors need to be opened. It's Ireland for all. And anyone comes here, they've got the same rights as Irish citizens. So we can't ask any questions. 15 years ago, his policy was, let's get some cash together and boot them out because they're contributing zero, absolutely nothing to Ireland. They're leeches and they're just sucking uh, the funds out of the public coffers. So uh, interesting to see how he's flip-flopped on that one. Probably didn't think his words would be pulled up, what, uh, 15, 16 years later. But here we are uh, talking about what he said back in 2008 today. So, you know, so the question is there for me, why the big U-turn? Um, you know, because that, that's literally going from one point of view to another. At one point, uh, 15 years ago, he's saying, you know, get any unemployed migrants out of the country and we'll pay them to do so. Now he's welcoming, welcoming them with open arms and almost begging them to come over here. So, you know, is is that bribery on some part? Do, do they have information on him? Um, is is that corruption? Can a man completely change his mind? Or is there money changing hands somewhere uh, there, Rick? Or is it everything. just blind ambition? Or is it just blind ambition? And will, will, will some people say anything uh, that they're asked to in order to get to the top for uh, notoriety and power? There's usually uh, something involved, Natalie, that goes beyond just somebody just changing their mind or somebody being leaned yep. on. So if Varadkar was leaned on, say, look, we want you to make this statement. 
I'm sure being a politician, the first question he would ask is, well, what's in it for me? And if my answer to him was, well, there's nothing in it for you. I just want you to do this for me. He would probably tell me to go forth and multiply. So when when a politician does a flip-flop or you scratch your head wondering why they've radically altered their position on something, I personally believe, and I'm not saying I have no evidence for anybody, but think about it. Usually uh, money is involved or financial gain is involved, or if the person is very, very wealthy indeed, uh, financial gain doesn't become appealing to them. Usually a compromise or blackmail could be involved. I Let's dig up some dirt on this person and threaten them with ruin if they don't play ball. So I don't know what happened, but you can see it across uh, the UK. Look at look at the Conservative Party. Look at the Labour Party. Look at every political party that's out there at the minute. Who has integrity these days? Who could you actually look at and say, I, I have some degree of faith in that person or that person is competent to do the job that they're doing. I can't see anyone in Ireland that fits that bill that's in power at the minute. I certainly can't see anyone in England or Scotland or Wales or anywhere for that matter. And why? I think people uh, are bought, easily bought or easily blackmailed. So that's my yeah. uh, take on it. Yeah. And we covered that yesterday when uh, we were saying about Lee Anderson, the Reclaim, the Reform Party, uh, all of the all of the same. Unfortunately, it seems there's money passing hands um, and very difficult to trust anyone. And of course, there was that video uh, that was leaked. But the, with AI now, you can't trust anything that comes out. There was a video of Leo Varadka uh, kissing some man in a nightclub. Could have been true. Could have been AI. Who knows? Uh, but but um, that was from last I, year. I, so there the were was, Dragging that one up again, that, that uh, again, was legit, yeah. apparently. And again, when it came out, uh, because apparently he's married to another man or he's in a union with another man, so he was two-timing his husband or his boyfriend oh. or whatever whatever his, his partner is. I don't know if they're official or not. But what I'm trying to say is uh, it did happen. So if he, if he can do something like that in public under maybe the influence of What's he of doing? Drink, uh, well, you know, who mm. knows? Who knows what other little videos are doing the rounds? I- I'm not saying there's any. <laughs> what videos have they got on him behind closed doors? Well, That's little videos, <laughs> little yeah. videos here, little videos there, and very powerful tools they are for putting people's arms up their backs. Enough. So yeah. I don't know, but he's definitely a changed man uh, compared to what he yeah. was back in 2008. Yeah, and we just yeah we just thought that was worth pointing out. Uh, politicians doing big U-turns and the possibility of corruption. Uh, we've got a no- another story here. Um, this was a sad one for me because um, I think newborns have already uh, got enough tests that happened to them. They've already have enough vaccines. Uh, this is from Ireland, and Health Minister Stephen Donnelly is now asking to add another test. Uh, for the newborn to test for a rare genetic condition. Um, but there, it only affects about seven babies in the whole of Ireland in the whole of a year. Now, for me, um, the vaccine side effects would be much higher than seven in a year, wouldn't it, to affect babies? Mm-hmm. But they're not worried about that, Rick. Well, nope. Why do you think they're, they're, they're pushing this? Why is Health Minister Stephen Donnelly saying, right, we need to give a newborn yet another test when, you know, their immune systems are, are being developed right at the start of their life? Do you think this sounds like a good idea to you? Or should at least the parents be given the option uh, rather than it just get added to the standard list of tests that happen to every newborn? Well, just listening to you talking, you know, my, my mind usually starts to think about what you're saying. And uh, the first thing that came to my mind as well was conditioning. Okay, so it's another needle going into another baby 
at the point of birth or just after birth. So, you know, there's a new generation of people being born. Of course, they're putting more needles into more kids and more adults than ever before. But why not add yet another layer into this that tell the mother, listen, uh, when your baby's born or, you know, the father or the mother, the father, when your baby's born, we need to perform another test. We're going to have to stick another needle into your child's body because we want the test for this or we want the test for that. I literally believe uh, it's a conditioning tool as well. The more needles they can get into children at an early age, it's conditioning them and it's conditioning the parents to believe that this is part of life so let's look at this test here so there have to be newborns they're for newborns screen for a rare genetic condition which causes muscles to deteriorate over time as part of a new addition to the heel prick test. So uh, as you rightly said, uh, Stephen Donnelly, who's the so-called Minister for Health, has asked to add spinal muscular atrophy to the National Newborn Blood Spot Screening Program. So effectively, uh, this is blood screening. So they're taking blood from a newborn baby, they're screening it, and again, when the whole scamdemic was on and they were doing the PCR tests and swabbing people's throats and ramming those uh, probes up people's noses, almost giving them lobotomies, you had to ask yourself the question, why? And one of the things was, well, are they harvesting uh, DNA? I know you can get it from like a cheek swab. You don't have to be so invasive. But I just believe, Natalie, in this day and age that everything is a data harvesting or uh, data information exercise. So if they can extract a little bit more blood and screen it for a little bit more, under the guise of protecting from muscular atrophy, then they're going to do it. So maybe it's just building up data banks, further data banks on this uh, next generation of kids that are coming up. Because literally, as you said, you know, would you not be better just stopping giving them vaccines at all rather than maybe risk seven out of, you know, however many live births in Ireland a year coming, falling short of this? I don't know, but it does seem a little bit overkill to me. Yeah, I mean, if this was a sudden rare, well, well, they say rare, if this was a condition suddenly that was affecting hundreds and hundreds of babies, then I'd say, yeah, this 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 might be something to worth considering. But for seven in a year, um, what are the side effects of the heel prick test? Well, they're not telling us that. Where's the informed consent there? Important to mention as well, Jeffro says in in the online chat all tests are optional all medical interventions are optional and that's exactly uh, what rick mm. was trying to say they are conditioning uh so many parents and so many uh, of the general public to believe they're not optional jeffro i know they're optional you know they're optional my youngest son didn't have any vaccines he didn't have those heel prick tests i'm i've now opted out of having my smear test because i know i don't have to do any of those things i will do my own research i have my own informed consent but unfortunately as rick's saying is the idea is almost to have full trust in the medical profession and the experts it's just adding another a test uh to the big long list um and uh they will continue to do so i think i i think rick um and people aren't asking any questions yeah it's a little it's strange you can tie this into the WhatsApp story, do a group on WhatsApp, even if you don't want to be in it, uh, unless you're really strict about it. You say, look, I'm, I'm, I don't need to be here. I'm opting out of this. And you don't care about who you offend or you don't care about upsetting anyone. It's almost the same. You know, your baby's in the hospital. You're surrounded by doctors and nurses. They tell you that it's the right thing to do for your baby. And they're all looking at you, putting pressure on you. A lot of people wilt under that pressure and they get conditioned to wilt okay. under that pressure because they're still in, you know, the medical establishment stomping ground. So it takes a, a certain type of person to look at the doctor and say, well, I'm not having that. I don't feel that's necessary 
for my child and I do not allow that to happen to my child. And of course, you get dirty looks and they'll shake their heads. But remember, you're in full control at all times. So strangely enough, that's the conditioning thing. Like people are conditioned not to cause offense. They don't want to offend their friends or their family by not responding to their messages or not joining their groups. Don't worry about offending people. People will get offended whether you try to offend them or whether you don't. The question is, are you doing what's right for you? Are you doing what's right for your child? And that's how I think we break that conditioning. Not like we'll have to actually stand up and say, I'm not having that. And I don't need to explain myself to you or anybody else. I'm not having it. That's all there is to it. And I think that's the only way around this. But many people will not do that. They'll just go with the flow. And in a positive way, uh, like in my son's class, uh, there's normally about five people in the class that don't have a vaccine, uh, my, uh, that don't uh, go forward for them. Obviously, my children be, be, being one of them, but there's still another four people in that class. You know, maybe over the next couple of years, that might add up to 10, that might add up to 15. But there are people standing up against the social conditioning um, that the that's it's expected for you to take these medical procedures. So uh, we will continue uh, to do these stories and make people aware here at TNT. We've got to take a quick break and then we're going to talk about um, boomers versus uh, Generation X or Generation Z here at TNT Radio. De-weaponizing weather with reality and perspective. The biggest weather news is what is about to happen in Europe. I saw another one of those pictures of Greta Thunberg protesting today. I guess today is like week 300 or something of the climate strike where kids are allowed to be truant and uh, you know to protest climate but she was all bundled up and i was like well wait a minute looks awfully cold over there and uh were there fossil fuels used in the making of those clothes that you have on but i want to get serious about this the fact that we are getting such a cold blast that is coming in and this was telegraphed with those big storms and the reason you see what's going on in the weather today is because all the weathermen start screaming and yelling about climate change instead of understanding the same thing happened in 2009 and they went into the deep freeze over there. But it's a serious situation. You know why? Well, first of all, the implications of that is that the United States is going to get very cold. Now, it's cold right now, but I'm talking about what could be really cold weather, severe cold, in the month of January. Because there's probably going to be a lot of snow in the United States during the month of December, especially after the 20th. So what we saw in 2009, 2010 was Europe got it in 2009 in December. And then the U.S. had their famous Snowmageddon. And that occurred later in January and February. It'd be a little bit earlier this year, probably, looking at the overall pattern. But think about this. You're going to get that grid in Europe tested now. And especially Germany. Germany looks like ground zero for the worst weather. With most snow, it's going to be a little bit colder relative to averages up where Greta lives. But Germany is going to be in bad shape here in the next 10 to 20 days. But again, then you have to worry about the rest of the winter. You see what I'm saying? So we're going to have some things push come to shove, so to speak, coming up here over the next couple of weeks. And in fact, the next couple of months, because unlike last winter, I don't think this is backing off this year. This is TNT Climate and Weather Watchdog Meteorologist Joe Bastardi asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you've got. I'm Cal Fire Battalion Chief Isaac Sanchez. And normally we like to provide you with tips on how to keep yourselves and your family safe during wildfires. But given the historic impacts that the weather has had on our state this year, we would like to provide you with tips on how to keep yourself safe during extreme weather. If you reside in an area susceptible to flooding, please take the necessary steps to prepare to evacuate if advised. 
make sure you've identified at least two exit routes out of your neighborhood as one of them may be blocked or flooded. As the weather develops, remember to check in on vulnerable neighbors and family members. They may need additional time to prepare for evacuation. And just like during a wildfire, if you feel unsafe, please evacuate. You don't have to wait for the order to come. Keep an emergency go bag ready in case you need to evacuate. And always remember to plan for the safety of your pets as well. If you must leave, never drive around roadblocks. It can take as little as 12 inches of water to sweep your vehicle away. And always remember the mantra, turn around, don't drown. Be aware of first responders working in highly impacted areas, especially on the roads. For additional safety tips and updates on CAL FIRE activities, follow us on social media or visit fire.ca.gov. Look out and alert for anything out of the ordinary. Natalie Cheel and Rick Munn. Thank you for your cooperation. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Yeah, welcome back. We like a, we like a good debate, a, like a talking point here on Open Line. And Rick put this story forward. And uh, yeah, let's see what you think. Uh, get involved on the online chat. It said, this is uh, from Australia. Boomers hit back at self-entitled whinging young Aussies for blaming them for the housing crisis. So uh, they're saying it's not our fault. Blame council, blame immigration, blame the government. You know, we were right. We want to hold on to our houses. And it's not our fault that you're struggling to get on that on the housing market. So before I put it over to Rick, I'll just I'll just give a couple of facts and figures from the article. Um, with Sydney's median house price now at 1.397 million, an average full-time worker on 95,000 uh, uh, with a 20% deposit paying off that mortgage would be a dangerous debt to income ratio of 11.7, okay? A generation ago, 1982, uh, the house price was 79,000 full-time workers on 17 paying off 63,000 with a 20% deposit with an income to ratio of 3.7%. So for me, um, personally, I think, uh, yeah, the boomers don't sometimes realise that they did have it slightly uh, uh, easy. And that's not to say, you know, that, that, you know, that people should be whinging and not trying to make a difference. But when you look at those figures alone, you've got to be working. There's got to be two people working. This is the same in the UK now. You can't have uh, one man uh, working to get a mortgage and, and the, the woman staying at home. Um, things are much more difficult than they used to be. And, and I think for me, the worst thing they did here was housing should never have been a business. Uh, once you allowed it to become buy to let, once you allowed people to be start rich people start to be buying 10 15 20 100 houses um then then they stop being about property um and uh yeah it's, it's luck of the draw those same people who are very well in you know middle class sat in with their with all their money in their houses will be the same that turn around and go oh those terrible people um who were on drugs who who you know had had luck, the luck of the draw who lived in the council property with absolutely nothing yet they were able to give their their children lots and lots of money for pure, pure luck. So for me, you know, it all went wrong when you started to make the uh, housing market a business. And uh, from there, what can you do now, Rick? Uh, all these people with mess, many, many housing. 
Well, I'm sure uh, there's a lot of boomers out there that are, you know, scratching their heads at some of what you've just said, going, you know, we yeah. had it easy. We had it easy. No, uh, interest rates were like 12, 13, 14% at one stage, and almost all of our income, granted, don't forget, incomes were a hell of a lot less than two. So house prices have went up exponentially, but people's wages have also went up, not exponentially, but they've also went up compared to what they were back, say, in the 70s and the 80s. And it's a whole different ballgame out there now, too, Natalie, but don't forget uh, most uh, most people's lives was not fueled and driven by debt and unfortunately yes. the culture of this age is debt it's almost a given that you have a credit card you have an overdraft you have a personal loan you're paying off now a 30-year mortgage it used to be you know you would have took out a, a 25-year mortgage put down a five percent deposit you had to go down your bank manager would interview you he would go through your finances with a fine tooth comb and then approve a loan and the interesting figure out of that report that you've just highlighted was back in the day it used to be three times your income now it's up to 12 times your income and that's it's just simply uh, unrealistic. So take what you earned back in the 80s or in the 90s, multiply it by three, and that's what you would have been approved for as a mortgage by most banks. So you're on 20 grand a year, they would give you 60,000 quid. That would have got you a good house back then. But nowadays, like look at those prices in Sydney, 1.3 million. Someone has to spend 12 times their income, uh, uh, multiple of income just to buy the house. And now they're doing intergenerational mortgages. It's like after you die, your children can pick up the tab these mortgages could be going on for 15 yeah. years i think and again linking back into the keeping up with the joneses thing at christmas uh, which is what you first highlighted here is there's so much pressure on people that when they see all their friends and families taking a holiday every year we must have a foreign holiday we must have two holidays a year we must take the kids here we must buy this for the kids they're just sucked in to this uh, keeping up with the Joneses mindset and Britain and Ireland and Australia and everywhere else has never been so crippled by debt because people can't say no. People can't say no. I refuse to partake in that. I refuse to get sucked into that. And unfortunately now, People have dug themselves into this hole. Didi uh, Denslow even was on last week talking about how he's 65 grand of student debt, let alone anything else that he might have out there because of five years worth of university fees. How do you even begin to make a dent into that before you pay other things off or take out finance for other things? It's the same with credit cards and loans and put it on tick and here's a store card, buy now, pay later. Oh man, uh, I think there's been a, how would you say, a slip in budgeting skills and uh, a slip in people being able to stand up and say, you know what, I'm not buying that because I can't afford it. Now it's like, well, I can't afford it, but I can't put it on my credit card. And now we're in this quagmire of debt and mess that we're in now. And uh, yeah, yeah, whinging, whinging about it. But a lot of it, a lot of it is self-inflicted because people haven't got the power to say no and resist stuff they can't afford. Yep. I've got uh, Leo X says, I've got to disagree with Nat on this. I'm sorry. Basic economics of supply and demand. Um, for me, though, it's all changed. It would be basic economics of supply and demand if you were only allowing you know, people to buy one or two properties. It all changed when you were allowing very, very rich people. You know, I remember that I think it's the footballer Robbie Fowler. He earns, he, he owns about a quarter of Liverpool. He's got that much property there. So how how is that supply and demand? Is that not just the rich getting richer? And at the same time, when you allow people to buy that much property, what happens when uh, the, the property market crashes? Those people also make the 
poor, much poorer again. That, so that that's my issue uh, with the property market. And the other the other thing is, I mean, I'm I'm, I'm poor. I've got no money. I've got no I've got no inheritance coming to me. I I was always you know I was brought up to know that life was unfair. You know, there was these people where their parents died and they didn't mm-hmm. have to work a penny, and they just suddenly end up with this massive packet of money. And there's other people that get that that literally will never have a penny that will get to them and they're the same people that will go yes but we worked really hard for it well a lot of you didn't did you you just got no. given it on a plate so life is very very unfair um you know and uh that, that's just the way i feel about it you know yes yes some people work hard for it but a lot of people haven't worked for it at all they just got given it because maybe their families were rich and they didn't do anything either so that's that's just other- life well, the other yeah, well said. And the other thing is too, by the way, banks have a huge part to play in all this too. So you also made the good point there, not about people becoming professional landlords, maybe have 10, 15, 20 properties, maybe hundreds of properties. Oh, yeah. A lot of that was fueled by the buy to let uh, boom uh, back in the 80s and into the 90s, for example, where banks became very lax on their lending principles. They allowed people to borrow more money. They put their share price up. But the reality was, well, if they go bust in this and default will simply take the property back, we'll deal with that problem when and if it comes so you had people maybe maybe say you had a million quid of cash in the bank and you actually wanted to go out and physically buy two to three houses that's fair enough because you're not taking on any debt for it but a lot of banks waived all their lending criteria which fueled the last house price crash back in 2008 and then you were left with a lot of people that couldn't get onto the property ladder and don't forget uh, Maggie Thatcher as well she brought in the the council uh, buyback you could buy a council house for your two or three thousand quid if you'd been paying rent on it for a long time which is fair enough for some people but family members were making uh, best use of that so you could have maybe saved up money and bought your mum's house or your dad's house if they've been in a council house all their lives it would ultimately be in your name or it would be signed over to you you effectively bought yourself a house for what three four five thousand quid yeah. and then you get to let that out and take the money from that and then it reduces the social housing stock even yeah. more so yeah there's been a lot of uh funny moves and a lot of uh manipulation and a lot of advantage taken over the schemes yes. in the uk at the minute yes. and thus we find ourselves in the position which i think is what you were alluding to yeah absolutely that so at the same time if you allow very very rich people to but to buy up huge portfolios and i'm not even talking 10 to 20 houses some people have have hundreds and hundreds and then get rid of all your mm-hmm. social housing that's not just supply mm-hmm. and demand that's that that's a that's almost making sure some people are never going to be able to afford a house we don't we're not all born with a silver spoon in our mouth and are going to get a massive inheritance yeah so some people what means working hard to somebody is very different to somebody who's born with nothing and who's going to inherit nothing so yeah just just bear in mind that that, that not everybody gets uh the same uh t- mm. two pack of aces some people get some people get a two or three in their poker hand and they've got it they've got to work much harder at getting back their money uh one, so that's, one, that's, one last one yeah. last thing on that epic rant of yours by the way the yeah. wingers right the wingers won't be whinging when mummy and daddy leave them that 1.3 million pound house 
in the suburbs of Sydney. All of a sudden, they're like, well, we're glad of those boomers. Yes, well, exactly. We're glad because a lot of them are going to be fleecing off or living off the fat of the land because mommy and daddy were boomers and mommy and daddy did get good returns on their investments. So all of a sudden, when you can't get a mortgage, the boomers are the result. But when the boomers die and leave you their 1.3 million pound house, oh, they're wonderful people. So bear in mind, exactly. boomeranging, boomeranging emotions going on here. So, as well. so, so yeah, this 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 uh, tends to be uh, your opinion tends to be on where you sit and and what inheritance you're getting. So, uh, yeah, just bear that one in mind. Uh, just quickly before we go, we got very, not a lot of time. Um, this was a head teacher that died locally to me. Her, um, that Their uh, investigation's happening and they've had to crowdfund for her. So this was about Ofsted. So it's just worth uh, keeping an eye on uh, because they've tried to keep it very hush-hush and uh, that they've had to make a lot of money just to try and uh, get a proper investigation put into that one. So once that comes up, I will let people know because as again uh Ofsted and another authority are trying to cover up uh their uh bad uh intentions and their bad work on that one so yeah uh it's come to the end of the show i will be back at this time tomorrow you can carry on listening to rick at locked and loaded uh we'll be back at uh 9 a.m tomorrow and uh go out there have a great day stop looking at whatsapp that's our rule for the day and i'll be checking on you tomorrow have a good one bye bye